0: One of the things I really loved when I was talking to this woman, Abigail, who, who like helped me to understand all that stuff about sizing is like, like she, she said this thing, bodies are unruly and it's just, I kind of always loved that. Like, yeah, bodies are unruly. Like they're not gonna, they're not gonna let us be interchangeable parts on a car. You know, we're not, that's not how it works.
1: I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. Hi, it's Jordan. I am overjoyed to be here with our first episode of 2023. This is a fun one because we are going to be talking about Butts. My guest today is Heather Radke, who is a longtime friend, a Radiolab contributing editor, and the author of the popular new book, Butts, a Backstory, which is a cultural history of the female butt. She starts with evolutionary history, why we have butts in the first place, and then roams through centuries of social history and reporting, including the story of Sarah Bartman, who was forced in the 18th century to exhibit her rear end as part of a sideshow under the name The Hottentot Venus. The history of butt pads for drag queens, Sir mix song, Baby Got Back, Fit Models, her mother's butt, her own butt, a lot more. Radke writes in the book, "...butts, as silly as they may often seem, are tremendously complex symbols, fraught with significance and nuance, laden with humor and sex, shame, and history. Women's butts have been used as a means to create and reinforce racial hierarchies, as a barometer for the virtues of hard work, and as a measure of sexual desire and availability." Despite or perhaps because of the fact that there's little a person can do to dramatically change the way their butt looks without surgical intervention, the shape and size of a woman's butt has long been a perceived indicator of her very nature, her morality, her femininity, and even her humanity. Heather came on the show today to talk about, well, butts. Hope you enjoy. It was actually a lot about how people
0: would react to the idea, um like actually just saying the word butts to people (laughs) it really like elicited quite a reaction and um I just realized there was like a lot of unconscious material there and how do people
1: react like do you do you remember is there a particular one you remember or is it just a general I mean
0: there's like a bunch of there's like kind of categories of reaction and you know over the course of the years I've written this book there's um I've seen you know, I've sort of see, seen these things happen over and over again. So the it's not like this is the first, like it's not like I'm remembering the, the very first time I said, what sure. if I wrote a book about butts? But I mean, I think mostly people laugh because it's fun to say the word butts. We sort of don't let ourselves say it that much. So, or I mean, probably we do, but we don't say it um, in like serious moments, you know, right. uh, like classrooms and that kind of thing. Um, so there's like always a little giggle. And then there's like, um there's like a few categories of reaction about the idea of a butts book one is like one like there's this kind of like there's this one time I told this writer who was like very i don't know he was like a real reporter i'd say and like was doing like important like i think he was like reporting on like gems in south america or something something big um and i remember him thinking it was it was almost like a cynical project. Like I had like picked this topic because I was going to like sell a gajillion copies or something. And I think there's that kind of reaction, which is like, Oh, you're so savvy and kind of canny. I was like, I didn't really choose it for that reason. (laughs) Um, And then there's the kind of reaction that's like, people sort of just tell me their feelings about butts for early in the early days, maybe because I was doing the science reporting first, there was a lot of reactions that were like, um, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, like where people would kind of tell me their evolutionary psychology, biology theories of butts that they'd read in like Maxim magazine or whatever. Oh, Um, Great. Perfect. Yeah. And, but then sometimes, you know, I think I like, A lot of women will say things like, um, you know, they'll just tell me how they feel about their butts or they'll be like, I don't care about my butts, my butt at all. I'm like obsessed with my breasts. Like I always feel like they are too big, you know? So there's, there's just like a kind of invitation maybe in the, in the title and the topic to kind of have a feeling or have a reaction.
1: Yeah. I want to, I want to back us up. Oh God. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> no, I, it's i have like, don't even notice anymore. It's like so it's unavoidable. Impossible. It's impossible not to accidentally. Uh, it's okay to have, enjoy the puns, you know, thank it's you. like, I'd like to at least be in control of them, but it's, I think I'm, you, I think you we're aren't. past that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. we're past that. So let us, uh, let us back up to, to, I guess, puberty, which is when I'm assuming having read the book, you first Began yourself to have a a feeling, or even just to notice butts, and and your butt and your mom's butt, as you write Mm -hmm. in the book. Um, What did? Tell me about that. What was that like? Well, yeah,
0: I mean, uh, I think the way you know, it's so hard to know. Like, am I is this memory right? (laughs) But um, I, I definitely like noticed my mom's body before puberty, and like had a relationship with my own body, obviously before puberty. But I think like so many people. Um at you know when I turned 12, 13, like seventh, eighth grade i I started to my body started to change, and I started to get a bigger butt and it's so funny when I look at pictures of my that self at that age, like of course I'm sort of like I don't even know what i I was what talking about. <laughs> like you know what I mean like I mean, and you, it just points to the ways that these kind of minute differences at that age kind of take on obviously so much import and meaning and we notice them about ourselves and about other people. And there's a feeling that other people are noticing it about you too. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, I started to feel like I had a big butt and, um, by high school, I, I sort of think that that sort of became like a, an identity of sorts, you know, I think, you know, my mom, it was a part of her body. She had often complained about, you know, in dressing rooms and just like, In life, and I think it's a common thing to hear for young girls and maybe all gendered people to hear their moms talk about their bodies and those kind of casual, like, um, you know, that kind of way that we maybe it's tempting for all of us to talk about our bodies, just like, oh, my butt's too big. Like, my mom also talked, I used to always talk about how she thought her ankles were too fat, which is such a funny. I know. I I think she has beautiful ankles, but somebody said something to her once and it really stuck with her. But so I think that there's these, these ways, these stories we have about our bodies and I think in families and, you know, just in, in sort of casual moments, we communicate them to each other. So it was some idea I had that like a butt could be too big. And then I started to think my butt was too big. And then there's this moment in high school where Um there was like a little bit of gossip about how i had a big butt and so i think this thing had oh no yeah i think this thing had that i had sort of like been lurking in my unconscious like really sort of formed maybe this is the threshold is like when i heard this piece of gossip about myself like um when i heard or you know like this this idea of myself as like having too big of a butt or sort of a gross butt formed when like this one girl told me that this other girl said that she was, she, I remember it being something like, um, she was like, I getting a little bit fat, but at least I don't have a big butt like Heather's, <laughs> which, is, which is, it's mean, of course it's mean, it's terrible. But I also just want to say like, it's the kind of cruelty that I think, I mean, I, I can't even be sure I didn't say something like that at that age, you know? Sure. Like, yeah, I but I think we all. Participate in that to some extent,
1: right, right, right. But I am also the reason why I gasped was less like, "Oh my God, what a moral outrage!" But because I remembering being like a girl in the ninth grade, I remember I can imagine how weird and vulnerable, like how how what a what a strange exposed feeling you must have had. Totally feeling like there were other people looking at your body and making judgments about it that maybe you weren't totally aware of
0: at the time yeah absolutely I mean isn't that the feeling it's like just it's like, the f- being oh, seen feeling my butt's
1: a thing like, yeah oh no like, you know so other people have opinions about it <laughs> yeah absolutely and I've mean, I never had an opinion about it I know I know I mean and I actually think
0: I kind of wonder now if like that's when I started to really have an opinion about it like if before that it was all kind of not fully articulated, but then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, this is something I need to like police and manage and, you know, piece. I've, I'm being seen and judged and noticed. And at that age, and I think maybe always, that's just like a kind of, um, it's an overwhelming and sort of terrifying feeling, I think. And there's something about the butt. I remember talking to my therapist about this really early in the process of writing the book where He kept like referencing, you know, that Coppertone ad where like the the baby. Oh, yeah, Jodie
1: Foster. Oh, is it Jodie Foster? Yeah, that that was like like, Jodie. When when there was a what a life she's had. I know (laughs) Jodie. Man, I'm ready for that autobiography. Um, For real. (laughs) uh, Yeah, she was the Coppertone baby when she was like three years old, and it was a TV ad. That was I. I don't know if this is true, but i I vaguely remember hearing that it was like her first job well, that
0: actually just makes it all the more interesting, but it's like that that kind of like um like the dog is like pulling down the underwear a little bit so you could see the tan line, you know mm-hmm. and so there's this like kind of like I think there's something about the butt actually itself that's like exposing you know that there's this kind of like you can't see your own butt, so you are always dependent on other people to sort of tell you about it in some sense or to look at it in a mirror and that there's a, f- a real feeling of, yeah, exposure or like potential humiliation associated with the butt in general. And that in some ways, maybe that was part of the feeling I was interested in is like that kind of like, you you can't know it yourself, but you can, and you're sort of dependent on other people to tell you about it. And I guess that is a feeling that kind of came from that moment of gossip in whatever it was, the ninth, 10th grade.
1: Totally. I mean, I'm also thinking, listening to you talk about that experience, that it sounds like it was one of the first experiences that you had personally of the kind of the transition into being um, like a person with a female body in this society, which involves a lot of people making qualitative judgments about your body that somehow have personal moral, ethical, political overtones like realize it's like I, I remember that about about those years too of how jarring it is to feel like your body signifies all of a sudden in a way that it doesn't when you're a kid totally. or maybe in a way that's different than it did when you were a kid but there are all of these ways in which we ask. I mean bodies of all kinds, but I think there's a specific way that you know cis female bodies signify in, in this culture, and the butt is very much a part of that. And it sounds like that was your like crash crash landing into the experience of being looked at in the way that you would go on to keep being looked at as a as a woman.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things, like like you know, I that was 20 years or something, maybe not. Yeah, probably about 20 years before I started the project and one of the things I think that got me interested in this as a book project was having conversations with my mom specifically, but also other, other people, other, you know, female identifying people about what they're about that kind of moment for them. And also like the many different ways, um, the many different things a, but could mean, you know, like for me, that was a moment of somebody essentially saying, you're big butt is gross. Like it's, it's unruly and it's ugly. I mean, you know, she didn't say it like that, but that was the, that's the underlying implication. Right. But my mom had had a really different experience growing up with a curvy, big butted body, which is like her family had told her that she needed to cover up her body when she was like 11 and 12, because it was like, you know, like the uncles might look a little too long, like that kind of vibe, which is like a really different that's a really different vibe. It's like her, for, in her family and in her, you know, particular historical, you know, racial situational moment in like this Italian American, you know, Metro Detroit kind of nineteen sixties moment. She, her, she was told her butt was like too sexual, and I was feeling like my butt was too fat, basically, and too gross. And like you know, it's interesting that a a body part can mean all those different you know, that's just two of the many, many things it can mean, but you know, that it can mean so many different things, that also seemed really interesting to me as like a um yeah, like a a project of signifiers and kind of um yeah, just like trying to make meaning of an object or a body part in this part in this case. Honestly, from the very, very beginning, you know the the origins of this as a writing project were. I had I wrote up that little anecdote about high school and like the thing about my mom's kind of different experience with her butt growing up and her family, um, in a class in my MFA for Hilton Alls. And then I was, that's when I started to be like, huh, this is kind of interesting how everybody in that class reacted to this idea of like talking about the butt. And then the next thing I did after that was um, I started to do some kind of like JSTOR style research. And I found this article from 1992, I think the writer Lisa Jones interviewed the poet Elizabeth Alexander about Bo Derrick braids. Do you remember this? Like where Mm -hmm. like Bo Derrick put like war... Um, like you know, box braids, and they were you know everybody started calling them boderic braids. Of course, they're it's not right. It's like a major moment of cult, white women culturally appropriating black culture. And um, Elizabeth Alexander in this, who's you know an amazing po- like one of my favorite writers, an amazing poet, and she had written she has written a long poem about um Sarah Bartman at that point. That's probably what she was most known for, and. She was describing to Lisa Jones that the um she sort of mentioned this idea that the bustle, which is a nineteenth century fashion, was modeled off the body of Sarah Bartman, and I had known the story of Sarah Bartman you know since college, but I had never heard that particular kind of connection before, and I found it super fascinating as like a an idea and it felt like really resonant with some of the stuff that was happening in contemporary culture, like with Miley Cyrus and other white women appropriating black women's butts specifically, or the, the stereo, really the stereotype of black women's butts. And, um, I found this connection to be super interesting and kind of profound. And, you know, I had, I had, I had known about Sarah Bartman since college and, you know, for those who don't know, Sarah Bartman was a um, a woman who was born in what is now Cape Town in the early 19th century. She was an indigenous African woman and was brought up to London in about 1810 by these two men who displayed her as part of a freak show in London because she had a big butt. And then um, there was a trial that happened to determine whether or not she was there of her own volition or she was basically enslaved. And that's a very famous trial. But then the other part of her story that's really important is that she was, she died in Paris and her body was dissected by this very famous French scientist named George Cuvier, who used the autopsy as supposed evidence of um, basically like white supremacy so that white people were, you know, more human, like, than people of African descent. And also that autopsy report is really like a a central document in creating and reifying the stereotype of like the highly sexual, big butted black woman. Um, So that's like a very, it's a big story in the book and it's a very important story in any history of um, the, of women's butts or butts really in general. Uh, So the, this article it's like a very short article in the village voice from the er, in the early 90s it elizabeth alexander just kind of mentions that there's long been this idea that the bustle was a was in some sense modeled off of sarah bartman's body and i just thought that was a really interesting possibility um and I started to kind of imagine a reported piece about that. And I actually like pitched it a couple of places and they didn't get picked up as a, as a piece, but I wanted to keep doing the research for it. Cause I, I worked in museums before I, um, before I became a writer and I was, I was just also really interested in this idea of like what an object like the bustle can tell us that's maybe a little different than a text-based source. So I started to do that research. So you, you can sort of see how, even from like the very beginning, that's like the first research I did for the book that would become the book. So like from the very beginning, I knew Sarah Bartman's story was always going to be there. And um, these connections, these kind of like moments of appropriation and the the ways that the butt was used to create race essentially in the 19th century, um, that was always part of it.
1: What did doing that, what did sort of uncovering the things you uncovered in the course of that research and reporting um, change about the way that you had been raised to think about your butt as a problem? Maybe not been raised. I don't want to imply that that was no, no, no. I that mean, you were, you know, but no, the I way mean, that you it had been, uh, you had received culturally the notion that your big butt was a problem.
0: I mean, I think that's a good question. I think that the, the reporting about the nineteenth century racial science—I mean, that's what they called it. It's like a maybe sort of weird to call it that, but the—I um, think the thing that I kept seeing over and over again with the reporting on, like the Cuvier autopsy report, the way that that autopsy report like reverberates and like is redone throughout the nineteenth century, the way eugenicists use the 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 story of Sarah Bartman and the idea of the big butt. Um, all of that it really made me think about not just the creation of blackness but the creation of whiteness and how how much white femininity existed in the 19th century in kind of juxtaposition with black femininity and like that part of what was happening was that white women in the 19th century were situated as you know, highly pure and um, you know not sexual. Like they, you know, it's like virginal in some sense. And like the black woman is being situated in this, you know, totally messed up pseudoscience as you know hypersexual. And they're using the butt to to do that work in some ways. It's like this: the butt becomes like one of the symbols of that division. And there's even this, like, kind of interesting um, eugenicist report thing that's like where this guy goes and tries to prove that even white sex workers have big butts, that like the big butt is about sex and it's not, a, it's not, it like sort of even transcends race. It's like this, the hypersexual woman is the big butted woman. And I guess, you know, thinking about, you know, that, in some sense that that's why it was considered gross in that moment, you know, not by that particular, like, I don't want to throw this particular person like under the bus too much. It's, it's like a cultural thing of like the, the small butt is the white butt and it's the, um, kind of butt that's under control and it's the butt that's not too sexual, you know? And I think in the twenties, there's also this new association that come, be, that gets kind of put onto thin bodies, which is also like this kind of chicness and coolness that comes from, you know, Coco Chanel and Paul Poiret, and uh, an idea of the, like what they called the rectangle woman. And sometimes that like, as this, this, you know, there's like a little bit of androgyny in it and there's a kind of uh, um, a certain amount of perceived, although maybe not actual freedom in it. And that all of those associations are happening on the the buttless body, and it's and to some extent, it's no wonder that that was the body that I sort of craved to have. It's a uh, especially in the early '90s, it was really situated as a as something desirable, but also something cool, and like that was, you know, probably why I I felt like that was the correct body to have. I mean, there was a lot. It was like basically a hundred years of. Of fashion, telling me that that was the right body to have, plus you know several hundred more years of associations about race and hierarchy, and you know um, what a controlled and kind of correct body looked like to uh, went into that moment. I don't know if that answers your question, but
1: I mean it does, or at least it it partially does, which is I guess. The, what I'm hearing you say is that it felt like all of a sudden you had hundreds of years of context for the feeling that you had on the day that you were told that your, your butt was big when you were in the ninth, eighth or ninth grade. Did it change how you actually felt?
0: To uh, like a- after I wrote the book, like did it Yeah, I, like
1: in your in your body, did that research change how you felt in your body or about your body? Or I'm, had maybe there was twenty years between like the yeah. eighth grade and and the beginning of writing the book, so presumably there had been some changes there too.
0: Um, you know, I mean, I right, I like I think by the time I wrote the book, I definitely had a more complicated understanding of my body and it being sexual and it being you know, and like, whatever, like, is it too big? Is it too sexy? Is it sexy enough? Is it, you know, more, you know, excitingly sexy, like all those things were um, definitely like on the, like had, you know, I'd, I'd thought about them and experienced them in my body. But I think the question of like, does thinking about, about your body this much change how you feel about your body? It's like a question I'm very interested in, partially because I think like, to some extent, the answer is, not really, which is a little <laughs> bit disappointing. Like I feel like it's like not the answer my publicist would want me to give you, you know.
1: But, no, but that's an interesting, like that's fascinating. The idea that you can do so much thinking and research and writing and spend years of your life sort of thinking about the butt and and feel maybe not that different about your butt. I mean, it's like I think I think the truth is I. F- feel different.
0: There's a lot, you know, but as you say, like a lot has happened over the same, those same years, you know, I had a baby, there was a pandemic, which meant we all stayed in our houses and stopped kind of having as much of that experience of having our bodies seen and seeing other, you know, it's like we, we stopped, um, as often, at least for me, I stopped feeling kind of watched in the way that like, maybe I had as a, cis woman in the world walking around for the previous twenty years. Um, so I think a lot of other things were happening at the same time. I was writing the book, and and I guess some ways that my body or my the ways I thought about my body have changed. Is like I don't. I think that there's a a a, a way that I've trained my mind to have more consciousness or questioning than I did before I wrote the book, like. I notice feelings in my body, like about my body and about other bodies more. And then I sort of ask myself a set of questions about that. You know, it's like, if I'm like, oh, I look bad in this dress or in these pants or something. I'm like, well, why do I think that? Like, where is that coming from? Is there something I want to change about the clothes? Is, you know, is there something that's like maybe wrong with how these clothes were made for me? You know, but I mean, sometimes you can go kind of all the way down the wormhole and be like, what does fit even mean? What does it mean to look good? You know, like, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's like the worst thing to do with your time to to do a little bit of that type of investigation. Because although it can, it can help you make feel a little bit better about your own body, I, I think, and it definitely has helped me sort of um, change my relationship to clothes and fit but I think it also can sort of help you to think harder about other people's bodies. You know, I think it can be, we can, I think there's a way we can, you know, even in this moment where I think we try to be more respectful, you know, a certain kind of maybe like a certain kind of person at least tries to be more respectful than we've ever been about questions of race and gender and to some extent class. I still think there's a way that we can be a little bit flip about, not just like fatness and fat phobia, but just the way other people's bodies are and look, if that makes any sense, like I think we can give ourselves a little too much of a pass of like being judgmental in ways that are coming from our unconscious and our un unconsidered moments, like maybe it's different, but when I got pregnant and my body started to change, you know I think for a I think this book helped me to be really much more interested and thoughtful about that rather than really sad about that. I think a lot of women can feel sad or upset or something about their body changing. And there's this period of time when you're pregnant, that's like before you have a big belly, but you're but you're, you're bigger. Yeah. It's like you sort of like thicken a little before you get visibly pregnant. And in a way that I think was the hardest time for me because it's like, There's something about a big pregnant belly that's like, I'm pregnant, like, (laughs) here it is, you know, but when you're, but it just felt like gaining weight. And I think that was a time where I was like, okay, like, what would it matter? You know, okay. So like, I'm, maybe I'm gaining weight. Maybe it's because I'm pregnant, but maybe not. And like that, maybe that's, that's okay. Why wouldn't that be okay? Like, let's, you know, that I I maybe need to buy new pants. That's not such a big deal. I'll buy new pants, you know? (laughs) I can afford a new pair of pants. You know what I mean? I don't know. This isn't very, maybe it's not very profound or very interesting, but I just think that there is this kind of um, the, th- the thing that feels like it changed. Isn't that it's like I had some big epiphany and now I feel great about my body. It's more just like these subtle <laughs> moments of like asking one more question or pushing myself a little bit harder to, to, See bodies as like kind of an exciting multiplicity of of humanity rather than um, problems to be solved or problems to be judged.
1: responding to a thought or a feeling about your body or somebody else's with the question, well, where did I get that idea? Right? Like where did I get the idea that it's bad to thicken? Right. Yeah. Where did I, you know, I hear so many people, and you talk a a little bit about this in your book um, when you're in the sort of the section on fit models and dressing rooms. um, I've heard so many people say, Oh, you know, I have a problematic body clothes, never fit me. And I feel like something that I really love that you do in this book is say, well, where did we get that idea? And actually, there's there's a really fascinating concrete history of business decisions, not to mention sort of cultural, political, aesthetic de- decisions, that produce the person who feel like there's something wrong with them because genes don't fit them off exactly. the rack. Yeah. And I think uh, that's the
0: most concrete moment, right? Because it's like there you really see how it's like, it's not there's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with not just those jeans, but like the category jeans or (laughs) pants, you know? And right, and like, maybe to some extent that feels known. Like we kind of have some idea, like the beauty industry makes us feel bad about our bodies. But there was something for me that was pretty profound about finding out, like, it's like, no, this is how clothes are like designed to fit you or whatever, like how sizes are created essentially. And, it's never going to work. Like nobody in the garment industry probably thinks it's going to work. And so like, we shouldn't think it's going to work. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't mean like I can go and like now I've got like some magical pair of jeans that fit me. It just means I don't expect them to anymore.
1: Right. Which is, I think the power in, in asking that question and kind of chasing it down of like, well, where did I get that idea? Because sometimes you know, we often experience those ideas like, oh, there's something, you know, my body is flawed because pants don't fit me off the rack. feels like it's it's so kind of diaphanous and everywhere that you think it's just truth. But in fact, there are like very, very concrete, there is a story, there's like a reported story that can explain exactly how that feeling was produced in you in the same way that, you know we there is also a story and it's the story largely that you're telling or one of the stories you're telling in this book there's a story of why that cross country runner yeah thought there is something wrong with a big butt totally. um, it's not a it's not a sort of like natural law it's a it's a it's a thought and feeling that has been produced by people over time in pretty concrete ways
0: yeah and i think a thing now that we're talking about it that i i I kept finding and I've took such delight in over and over again is just the ways that bodies that human bodies and honestly, probably like animal bodies too, resist our like weird human need to like categorize and order and manage. Like, Mm. like I think one of the things I really loved when I was talking to this woman, Abigail, who, who like helped me to understand all that stuff about sizing is like, like she she said this thing bodies are unruly and it's just i kind of always loved that like yeah bodies are unruly like they're not gonna they're not gonna let us be interchangeable parts on a car you know we're not that's not how it works like all of our bodies are specific and strange and like the desire to fit them into racial categories or into size categories or, you know, to, to manage them essentially to sort of decide what they're, I don't know, to like make, to like make them knowable in this very kind of industrial age way. It's like, they won't let us, our bodies just will not let us do that. And I think that can make us all feel very bad. And that's kind of where it's gone, but there's this other way you can go with it, which is like, isn't that kind of like fun and funny and Amazing that our bodies do that for us—that <laughs> they like <laughs> let us be sort of specific and weird and different—and if we could like celebrate that and and be excited about it, that that would actually be kind of profound. And you see, I saw that with the science reporting. I saw that with the fit reporting. You know, when I talked to the um Vinny and Alex, who are uh they own this place called Planet Pepper, and they do um butt pads for drag queens like that's like just so much a part of their business models just like the celebration of multiplicity it just it feels like that's a kind of was a fun takeaway from the book that i kept getting to over and over again in the reporting
1: yeah i one thing i was thinking about when i was reading the book is whether or not there's a major argument to be made for like the the deindustrialization of the way that we clothe and portray ourselves? Like po- one of the, the problems that you point out is the idea that we're supposed to make bodies or we're supposed to sort of treat bodies like they can be clothed off of a production line, right? Mm-hmm. Or like they come off a production line. Yeah, exactly. And so many of the, um, what seem like the positive examples or the, the examples of something that feels feel joyful, joyful interactions with the butt in your book are, smaller operations right Or <laughs> like are, yeah. are about like um small scale the small scale the specific the the interest in in meta- metaphorically and literally kind of tailoring to mm. to bodies um
0: yeah that's nice like sort of like tailoring in all all sense of this, of the word and yeah maybe like sort of treating our bodies like special in that way that like if you get a garment tailored it's because like you really want it to fit you and you know you're going to spend a little bit of extra money. I mean I I think one place I got to with the fit stuff was you know in like medieval western Europe. And also honestly in a lot of other cultural garments like a sari or something. These are garments like in medieval western Europe that people wore like um like you know a tunic with a belt because that's like going to accommodate a lot of change over the course of a life and garments Mm -hmm. are expensive and, you know, you have to think like they weren't just like getting cloth, they were like growing the flax and then like, you know, it's like quite an operation to make a garment. Um, And, you know, in some ways I'm I'm also like that as opposed to like the highly tailored garment, it's also like the garment that can accommodate flexibility that, and I, like, each of those metaphors is appealing to me and it kind of like, as a like both like a concrete solution to this like industrial garment thing, but also like the thing that we're talking about, which is this kind of metaphorical question of like, how do we,
1: how do we make our butts fit? Yeah. And (laughs) like, how do we, how do we
0: like allow and celebrate for like the, the vast diversity of the human form, you know?
1: Yeah. I think something that I, I was thinking a lot about when I was reading this book is the extent to which, um all of this received wisdom or or or, you know, foolishness um that we have about our bodies and our butts, um, is communally produced, right for 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 better or for worse. Um, and across so many different, Ways of sort of modes of knowledge production. You this there's science reporting in here. Mm. There's the fashion industry. There's you know pseudoscience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and y- you in this project have kind of taken on a very very vast thing, right? Um, the bud is hu- universal in the human experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's and it touches as you sort of demonstrate. I mean almost every is it touches or is touched by almost every aspect of of sort of human society and and working um how did How did you make the choices you made about the way about how what to eliminate functionally in this yeah. in this book
0: I mean it was like one of the problems of writing this book that I was like grappling with all the time is the the feeling of vastness and it's like. I love having you acknowledge that because sometimes, you know, one of the reactions to this book is like, How could you write a whole book about butts? And I'm like, the real question is like, how I didn't write
1: five, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: and you know, I think it's there's it was also just politically really important to me to speak be so upfront about the fact that this was like one version of the story of the butt that it's told from like the perspective of a white woman who is grew up in a very specific way, as we all do, and that you know, it's this mind, it's my mind who made these sort of curatorial choices. But like in an exciting way, another like hopeful nod to multiplicity, like lots of other people could and should do this project and would do it really differently. It's what, you know, I had this big kind of long kind of conversation with the publisher about I wanted it to be called a backstory, not the backstory, because I Mm -hmm. wanted to just sort of open up even on the cover this idea of um that there could be multiple stories of the butt um and then just as far as what I chose I think you know I I think like a, a thing I really believe is that like nonfiction writing is curation and following curiosities and that that's sort of what nonfiction voice ultimately is is like making these choices I so there's answer is like, I don't actually totally know. It was sort of just like, I followed my own mind. And like, I can see now how like, my history as a curator made it meant that like, there's a lot of museums in this book. And there's a like, my history as a science reporter, like I was really interested in the science questions. Um There were some things that I had just always found delightful, like buns of steel, I knew I wanted to include just because it like, honestly, I think that that chapter, I started researching it because I was like, that was funny. I remember it. I remember it being on like those infomercials as a kid, and like, what was that about? I actually just don't know. And then there were some things I felt like I had to include, like Kim Kardashian, which I was like really resistant to, but like obviously had to be in there. Um, and and kind of challenging myself in those sections to find something that did interest me and find something that I was excited about. And then there's just like a lot of stuff that got, you know, I, I started working on and just kind of couldn't do it all. And eventually like the book was due and I had to, (laughs) I had to stop. So there was like, partially because of my mom's history, I was, I had done some research on Italian and Italian American butts and kind of like where this particular idea of like the big butted Italian woman came from. I had talked to a couple of like pornography researchers about pornography and butts, um, yeah, there was just like a handful of things that kind of were on the cutting room floor, but I There's think your huh? sequel. Yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> um, but I think I, I think you know it's like how you make any reporting decisions. Like I was, I was working on a number of things, and then the things that sort of had legs, so to speak, is you know when I sort of started to get traction, like when I found out about the Norma Norman statues, which are these st- kind of wild statues that a couple of eugenicists made to like show people who were the, what the most normal body would look like. Um, Like that felt really rich. And I, you know, I could kind of see how historically and in like a reportage kind of way I could keep going on that and I, and how it would contain some of the big questions I was trying to ask about you know, the the legacy of this racial pseudoscience in the 19th century, like how it goes into the 20th and 21st centuries and um, just like how weird eugenicists were and how open they were about their project. I always think that's sort of an important thing to include if you can in any kind of reporting because they were just so blatantly racist in a way that I think we can forget for some reason and Mm -hmm. that everybody was eugenicist in the first half of the 20th century. Like, the most surprising people were it was such a big big and pervasive project that we think kind of went away but actually stuck around for a really long time so yeah I don't know I think I just had a few things I was super interested in and then like the the topics that really um started to it would become clear that it was like a big important thing that could contain a lot of ideas then I would sort of keep going those Mm -hmm. does that make sense
1: yeah totally um you dedicated this book to your mom yeah uh have you how does she feel about it how does she feel I mean I'm sure she loves it and is thrilled for you as your mom but I'm I'm curious if she had any reaction to the material that surprised you um it didn't surprise me she was she was so she's been so supportive and so kind about
0: it and like happy, you know Happy to let me talk about her, but you know it's one thing to talk about my own, but I do talk about hers and some of this press as I have when I talk to you. Um, I think she's she really liked that reporting about the dressing room stuff, and she she told me she was like for a few a few months after I read the because she read the galley you know a while back, or no, she probably read a draft a while back. Um, she was like for a few months, I really did feel like better about my body, but it kind of has started to to go
1: away. Oh no. <laughs> I know. I That's know. really interesting. Yeah.
0: Cause I think, you know, I think maybe a difference between reading it as a book and reporting it is like, at, if you read it, you get it all at once. And maybe that there is a little bit more of a, um, a moment where you're like, oh wow. Yeah. Like this is this thing about fit models and how sizing works is really messed up. Or like this, these racial ideas about butts is really you know, that's really stark and intense. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think it is just such an interesting and important question and maybe something to think about more is like, can knowing a thing really change how you feel? Or is there something kind of like deeper that has to happen for, for the, the kind of change we're talking about, like changing how you feel about your body? I'm going to go
1: to Thresholds is produced by Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshimurd of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Lorelai Grossman. Special thanks to Justin Alvarez and our hosts at LitHub Radio. You can find out more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website. This is thresholds.com. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform and you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you normally listen and subscribe and review us there. Thanks. We'll see you next week.